All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And a lot of NBA action to recap. And so let's just jump right into it by talking about the number one seed in the Western Conference right now, the New Orleans Pelicans, who are who have an 18-8 and record, and they've just been looking incredible. And Zion Williamson has been putting up tremendous numbers, like 30-10-5 over the past seven games. And they're currently on a seven-game winning streak. Um, they beat the Suns two times in that stretch. Uh, with that first game against the Suns, uh, capped off by a crazy 360 windmill by Zion at the end of the game, which led to some um, some scuffles. I, I, before we actually talk about the Pelicans, I was wondering if you saw this and, and what your thoughts were on this. Because a lot of the Suns players were really upset by this play. Uh, the Pelicans were at home. They already had won the game. And Zion, with like a couple seconds left in the game, comes on the court, does a 360 windmill dunk, incredible. Um, and that just sort of led to some chippiness from the Suns players, saying it was disrespectful, saying it wasn't sportsmanlike. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that when it broke some sort of unspoken rule, or do you think that's just like putting on a show for the fans? I would agree it's breaking some sort of unspoken rule, but that doesn't mean I don't like it. You know what I mean? I think there is a certain etiquette that the NBA uh, like has kind of like just not even in blowouts per se, but just in general, don't do that kind of stuff at that, like when the game's over, basically. Um, but just the the grit, like the history these two teams have from last year, like Zion talked about after the game, he was like, I had to watch my boys, you know, play against the Suns team and I couldn't really do anything about it, you know. And I yeah. saw like the, the Jose Alvarado, Chris Paul beef and like all that stuff. And he kind of just wanted to stick it to the faces of the Suns, which... Yes, is it disrespectful? But that was the intent. And it's kind of nice to see that grit in an NBA where it feels like that doesn't really exist anymore. I have to agree with you here. I also think it's just like great for us as the viewers and for the fans in the arena. You know, they're paying all this money to come see these games. And they want, this is what they come to see, the spectacle of the game. Like how many times do you get to see an in-game, basically what would be a 50 in the dunk contest live in front of your eyes at an NBA game? I think... You know, good for Zion for doing this. And I like, like you said, I like to have some rivalry. I like to have some chippiness. And I think that I'm excited to see if these two teams end up meeting in the playoffs because right now they're both looking incredibly strong. Um, and each time they've met so far in the regular season, it's been a tremendous matchup. And we saw how like intense that series was last year, as you were saying. Yeah. But let's extrapolate to talking about the Pelicans more generally. Um, I mean, they look great recently you know number one seed sort of speaks for itself i mean what do you what have you seen from zion williams in the in this run should he be in mvp talks um is he like a certified all-star like what do you think uh about zion right now and about the suns more or i mean about the pelicans more generally yeah well i'll say is, i mean they've been going on this crazy tear without their second all-star brandon ingram i mean he hasn't played a game since thanksgiving or around then so they've been playing great basketball. Um, I think that this team complements itself well. A bunch of young guys, they play great in the fast break, led by Zion. And just having CJ there is also such an, a great pairing. We talked about them on the last pod a little bit, but I think we can just go into a little more depth about what makes this team you know, so great. I think mm-hmm. naming some specific players outside the stars, because right, you got CJ, Zion, BI, but some other guys in there we t- we talked about before as well, but Herb Jones, um, we got to talk about um, 
Jose Alvarado, Jonas Valanciunas, Larry Nance Jr., Trey Murphy the third. I mean, all these guys really make this team work together, and they're really building a a nice culture of kind of like a, a mix of this transition with grit and. None of these guys defensively, I'd say, except maybe Herb Jones and Trey Murphy, are exceptional. Like they just play great as a team. And I think this is something they've built up over the past few years of being together. That's really fun to watch. And you know what's crazy about this team is that they sort of all the pieces kind of fit at once. Like when this team was being assembled over time, um, I was questioning each move every step of the way. I mean, we think about that trade for Devontae Graham. You're just like, what are they doing? Why do they need a guard like Devontae right now? You think about that swap between Steven Adams and Jonas Valanciunas. You're like, what are they doing here? Like, this is such a lateral move. Why would they do that? Even the CJ trade, I don't really, I like, there was a lot of question marks surrounding that as well. Uh, but to just see it all come together and just to see them start clicking is incredible. And I think a lot of factors you could have never really predicted, like, you could have never really seen how good Herb Jones would be and how much of the glue guy he would be on these this defensive end or, you know, the the miracle that Jose Alvarado has been uh, on both ends of the floor as a shooter on the offense and just as a pest on the defense. Um, and I, I think, obviously, yeah, we got to give a lot of credit here to Zion. There were so many doubts about him. You know, will he, you know, be like a Greg Oden who's like tremendous on the floor but can't stay healthy? Um like so many question marks because of the amount of time that he missed, but he sort of silenced all the doubts about him. And this came out looking like a genuine superstar in this league. Um, I think his improvement from the last time we saw him cannot be overstated. Like he has somehow gotten even better on offense, more dominant, but even on defense, you know, like his defense was always one of the big weaknesses of his game, but he seems to have improved a lot more. And I think you also do have to credit the, the Pelicans coaching staff, for creating a great defensive system as yeah. well to, to help complement Zion. Yeah, I would like to say, and Zion's getting very significant minutes. I mean, like in this last game, he played 42 minutes, like 37 mm-hmm. minutes, 33 minutes, 36 minutes. So he's getting big minutes and they're relying heavily on him and he's living up to it. And I think one of the things that saved this team, I think people aren't really talking about it, but was putting that clause in Zion's contract that required him to be under a certain body fat percentage or mm-hmm. maintain a certain weight. And yeah. that has... I mean, people were just talking about that as like Zion does need to lose weight, but the Pelicans actually actively did something about it. And I do think that actually saved their their franchise player. Yeah, no, I, th- I think so for sure. Like, you know, he definitely looks like a lot slimmer than and more like toned than we saw him in, in last outings. And he just looks su- like he's playing up to his athleticism, you know, and it doesn't <laughs> seem to be bogged down by his weight. Um, And it just like... When Zion is playing on the court, I swear, he's one of the most explosive and exciting players to watch in this game. There's not a lot of players that play like Zion with his just ability to attack the rim off the bounce, um, you know, how explosive he he is and just, like, his absolute dominance. Like, I think a lot of teams can sort of know what to expect when they're playing against Zion Williamson, but there's really nothing they can do to stop him, which is just incredible to see. Yeah, it's kind of like a mini Shaq. (laughs) No, seriously. Um. But speaking about uh, Shaq, or just like more bigs generally, one area of concern I have for this team that I would want to see them improve at the deadline is rim protection. I don't think this team has a genuine rim protector. I don't think Jonas Valanciunas is really going to cut it. And I think, you know, when you're trying to make a deep playoff run and you have to go against these looks against 
really dominant interior scorers uh, or, or guards who are really crafty in the paint, you need to have a guy who can sort of lock it down on that end of the floor. And so even getting I would a disagree. Guy... Really? Okay, well, yeah, me... no, I think, okay, go ahead. No, no, I want to hear what you got to say. Yeah, I mean, I just think, and not to say that that point is wrong, that they could use a, a, a shot blocking big, but I think Jonas Valanciunas brings a ton to the table for this team that and people don't recognize how much he does. He's a great both re- rebounder on the offensive and defense defensive end. Not only that, but he also stretches the floor for them. Really, the big thing about that trade with Steven Adams was that that allowed them to have a big who could take one or two threes a game. And even if he's only shooting 40 or 30-something percent from three, that's something people have to guard, and it draws out the big from the paint of the opposing team, which is allowing them to score far more often than their opponent, especially because when your help big is Zion, who's somebody super athletic who plays a lot bigger than his size, then the shot blocking is there just from the help defense. So, I mean, yes, it would be nice to have a a shot blocker who doesn't need Zion's help, but I think the way they have it constructed really plays to their strengths as opposed to just trying to get a specific thing, a specific skill set they don't already have. See, I I disagree with you there because I I don't think you can really construe Zion as a shot blocker. He's 6'6". He'll get you those blocks sometimes coming off the weak side, and and we know those highlights where he, like, swats the ball into the stands like a volleyball player, but he's not a true rim protector. But I'm not calling him a rim protector. I'm calling him a help defender, and just he plays bigger than his size, and just his athleticism, he doesn't need to block the shot, but jumping in the air is going to disturb the shot, and Jonas Valanciunas just needs to be able to be there to give Zion the time to get there. That's fair, but I just think that this team, for as good as they are, especially defensively, I think they could be even better with an athletic, rim-protecting big. Like, think of a guy like JaVale McGee on this team, you know? like maybe I he think would... he would be a good backup, but I think they lose a lot by putting Jonas Valanciunas on the bench or trading him away. I'm not necessarily saying move Valanciunas, because as you said, he brings a lot to this team, especially for the rebounding. I think he's a little overrated as a stretch big, like... He is. He doesn't take that many threes. He's guess how many threes he shot, um, this season. It, let's say wait twenty twenty five games in, I'm gonna go say he's shot twenty threes. He's actually shot like forty. But he, okay. I, the point is, is like two, two threes a game, one point eight threes a game. That's what you're asking of him. That's the same amount Anthony Davis is taking. Okay, fair enough. But I, I mean, <laughs> that's the that... same amount of threes as Anthony Davis. Is that actually? Yes. I, don't know that. I, I always <laughs> maybe maybe Anthony Davis has like five more or ten more but that's about the same okay regardless i'm just saying like no i'm not trying to discredit Jonas valanciunas because i think he is a great player um and he fits this team very well i'm just saying like if you're looking at ways where this team could get better i think the the most obvious place to look is rim protection that's all yeah i mean i don't know i just think that by gaining one aspect of your game you might lose multiple aspects of your game in other ways so i think sticking where they're at if it ain't broke don't fix it i mean i don't think shot blocking is their biggest concern right now as long as they're rolling like this so yeah no okay i'm saying like if they if they were looking for errors to improve in that was where i would look i obviously as of right now they're they're playing incredible um i I did want to ask another question about the pelicans Yeah, yeah um so do you think that um Zion is a top 15 player and if not then do you where like he would be a top blank player like fill in the blank Ooh, I don't know I'd really have to like list out players 
Just go with your but gut. Probably like top twenty. Mm. Yeah, I think fifteen's a little high. Just I feel like I could name a lot of players in the NBA who are just have been established superstars or all stars for a long time that I would put over Zion. But I mean, Zion's definitely climbing his way up there. If he can maintain his game like this at this pace, he's definitely going to surpass some of those guys in that list, maybe make it top 15, top 10. And that could be by the end of this year if he keeps playing like this. But speaking of Zion and I mean, this tear he's been on averaging 30, 10 and five over the past seven games and all the wins. Um, do you think that he has to enter MVP talks if he keeps playing like this? Or do you think, especially because they're the one seed? A hundred percent. I mean, best player on the best team is always going to be an MVP talks. Um, I, I don't, obviously they're not the best team that belongs to the Celtics, but in the West, they do hold that crown right now. Um, and yeah, Zion has been like playing incredibly. I think even if they were like the two or three seed, I think he would still have to be in those, those conversations. Um, I don't think he's maybe even in top five right now. Uh, because there are so many great players right now. Uh, like just looking at the NBA's actual like power rankings for MVP, I, I kind of agree with most of them. I think that maybe you could slot them in at like five. But here's what the NBA currently has as the uh, the power rankings for MVP. They got Tatum at number one, which is very understandable. You know, incredible stats on the best team. Um, Giannis at two, mm-hmm. Doncic at three, Jokic at four. Um and Jaw at five. So I think if you if you feel like you know you want to sub Jaw out or even maybe Jokic out for Zion as it stands right now, like just current power rankings, I wouldn't be mad at that. I was gonna say I think Jokic is having a very underrated season. We don't have to talk about him right now, but I do think if it was to be anyone, it would be Jaw. Yeah, I mean we could just comment really briefly on the Nuggets. Like they're actually playing really really well. Um, Jamal Murray's back and he's looking like his old self again. And the, the Nuggets are rolling, like, under the radar. I think Yeah, and they're rolling. up to the three seed. So yeah, it's a very quiet three seed. You don't hear anyone really talking about the, the Denver Nuggets right which, now. Which is really interesting because that's what it was when they were the one seed. I feel like they were the quiet one seed. I think when they're not in the spotlight is when they're the best. Yeah. I think they're, it, like, a, kind of just like a workhorse, very humble team. They want to stay under the radar and just swoop in and take games. The one issue, The one worry I have for this team is if they don't have everyone available – they have no one outside of um, Jokic who can handle the ball. Mm. Uh, like they have no one. Like all of their guards are kind of either shooters or or off ball guys. Like you know KCP Bones Highland, um, Ish Smith. I mean, but really, are you relying on Ish Smith to be your yeah, ball? Like that's not who yeah. you want. Um, and everything else, like they're just and Jamal Murray's the other guy, but Jamal Murray prefers to play. You know with just having the ball in his hands, just being able to score. He's not really a facilitator at all. Um, and your only other guy who's your star in Michael Porter Jr. definitely is not a facilitator. Definitely not. No. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, if if not saying that Jokic is going to get hurt or like that he it's on him, but in those non-Jokic minutes, which, you know, you have like 12 to 15 minutes a game, you need somebody to be able to step up in that. And I think that's the only hole they have. But mm-hmm. really, if they can kind of just um what's calm the storm that was the term i was looking for if they can calm the storm in those non-yokic minutes and just to like keep it even they're totally good yeah and i mean you've been seeing them in those non-yokic minutes rely on guys like i mean obviously murray's like a decent playmaker i wouldn't say he's a good one but he's like he's good enough to where they'll like 
like have their head above water in those non-Jokic minutes. And a guy like Bruce Brown, who I think is a very underrated player in this league. Uh, I liked him when he was a lot. I, I liked him a lot when he was on the Nets. And he does sort of a little bit of everything. So you can you know rely something? on that. I've been seeing something really interesting, and I don't know your thoughts on this. Mm-hmm. When when te- uh, coaches or like when um, announcers have been talking about the big three of this team, they've been subbing out Michael Porter Jr. and putting in Aaron Gordon. Mm. What do you think of that? Aaron Gordon on the year, he's averaging uh, 17, 6, and 2. Pretty efficient, but just overall, what do, you, what do you think of the idea of Aaron Gordon being that third player, not Michael Porter Jr. right now? Honestly, I'm not mad at that because I think – I don't think Aaron Gordon is really like a, a – uh, it's, it's hard for me to say because like that feels wrong to say. You know, you think mm-hmm. Michael Porter Jr., better player, much better purer score than Aaron Gordon can do a lot more for you on the offensive side of the ball. But Aaron Gordon is a more complete player. I want to say like, he's going to give you a little bit more playmaking than uh, Michael Porter Jr. Not by much, but a little bit more playmaking and he's much better on the defensive end. Like you can, he can actually, uh, you know, guard some of the more proficient offensive players in this league. Whereas you don't want Michael Porter Jr. Guarding anybody really. He's just, like a liability on that side of the floor. So I'm it's it's really debatable and it, I guess it comes down to what you value more like like I guess completeness in a player and def- defensive proficiency versus just pure scoring ability. Um, yeah, what's interesting is actually Aaron Gordon has been more efficient and has a higher points per game average right now than Michael Porter Jr. And obviously part of that is Michael Porter Jr. coming back from injury and needing yeah. to get back in the rhythm. But it's just a point I was making. I mean, it's not necessarily something I have an opinion on strongly either way. Um, but I've I heard an announcer say it, so I was like, "Huh, is that something we need to talk about?" Yeah, no, that that is a good point, and uh, it's definitely a conversation to have. Also, I, I mean, Aaron Gordon has, or sorry, Michael Porter Jr. has missed like a good amount of time this season as well. Like he's only played sixteen mm-hmm. games. Um, so, and, and obviously, like you said, he is coming back from injury, so. That those are things to factor in, but yeah, I, I want to talk about another team in the West, like in this top three seeds, which is the other team, the Grizzlies. They're the number two seed right now, sitting at seventeen and nine, so one game behind the Pelicans. And I really just want to give a shout out to Desmond Bain, who mm. has been yeah. so incredible this year. Took a big jump. Uh, he's averaging twenty five, five and five, just lockdown defender, and has really emerged since this past postseason. Uh, as the second best player on this team, do you think he has to be the front runner next to Shea Gilgis in the most improved player race? I definitely think he's got to be up there. I mean, he's like at times he looks like the best player on the Grizzlies. Like certainly giving Ja a run for his money, he just looked that good. Um, definitely has looked like a. I don't think it's a stretch to say he's looked like a top five, if not even a top three shooter like this season i will say he's he's been out for a while i think he had a toe injury he should be coming back soon but i think he's been out for about two weeks now yeah Uh, but like the way he came out to start the season you know like shooting the ball like a 45 percent clip on on like eight attempts per game that's that's like steph curry level i'm not even joking that like efficiency on those attempts that's up there with the best shooters in the league and so for him to make that jump is incredible and so yeah, he's missed a lot of time, but the Grizzlies have not really lost a step. Uh, so, I I mean, if he continues this level of play when he comes back, definitely he's got to be in that, those conversations for most improved player and maybe even an all-star 
we'll have to see how the rest of the West pans out. Uh, but talking about the Grizzlies more generally, like what have you seen from this team uh, and how are they like so good? You know, because you look at, I mean, you look at this roster and there's not a lot of names on this list that like pop out to you immediately. You know, you got like guys like Santi Aldama, uh, John Conchar is giving them a lot of productive minutes. David Roddy, you know, Brandon Clark. <laughs> like what, what do you, like how are these Grizzlies playing so well? Yeah, well, I mean, they were the two seed last year. So people, I think, again, came into th- this season underestimating them, including myself. Um, I didn't think last season was a fluke, but I just thought teams around the league got better and they kind of just stayed the same. And I think they're creating a culture very similar to the Miami Heat and like that next man up mentality and taking guys who are no names and giving them a strong work ethic. And they come out here and they really ball out like another a guy who's an example of that who emerged in the postseason last year is Brandon Clark, like a guy, a beast on the boards, really just putting effort where it matters. And that results in in winning basketball. And I think just everyone on this team from like. Just um, I'm trying to think of specific names, but like. Uh, Even like guys like, I mean, Tyus Jones, obviously, we know how good of a backup he is. Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah. Just I'm I'm just trying to think of specific names of guys who like aren't the, in the big names like you oh, have John yeah. Conchar that's yeah, a guy yeah, right I've been John Conchar he that's who you're talking about like a guy like that has emerged from just playing really hard basketball um and I think that like that's the kind of heat culture that I was talking about that a lot of teams are starting to adopt um and like another guy who's been great for them is Dylan Brooks he's just been having you know the typical season for him like 18 points, four rebounds, three assists, but just very well-rounded, very solid defensive player. Um and this team is I mean just can only go up. They they got some pretty solid draft picks and the guy like Kenny Lofton Jr. um just interesting prospects and I think this team's only going to grow. I mean how can you forget to mention John Morant? Obviously you talked about him being top 5 right now in the MVP ladder, uh averaging 28 7 and 8. So just great stats. But I don't know how I feel about him being on the top MVP, top five MVP list. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think with how good the Grizzlies have played, um, and without like his second best player, I, I think he, I think he does deserve to be in there. To be honest, like if, if it was any other MVP, any other superstar in this league who is missing their their second best player and still leading their team to the number two seed in the conference, I think we would be rightly putting them in the MVP talks. He's like played incredibly this season. Uh, as you said, scoring the ball, um, playing really, really well. I mean, the good thing with Jaws, like I think his three point shot has stabilized to a point where it's like respectable. He's shooting almost 36% of the year. And that means that teams have to respect his three, at least a little bit, giving him a- enough space and enough room to work with where he can, you know, drive to the cup and, and get to the rim where he's really comfortable and where he excels um, and where he's almost, I think he's better than almost everyone else in the league at that, uh, at that skill, you know, just driving to the cup. Uh, so yeah, I think jaw should be in the top five conversation for MVP uh, just purely based off like how well he's been playing without his second best player. Yeah. I think that's an int- a good point, but I think what makes me just reluctant to have him in my top five is like, that statistic last year where it was like this, the Grizzlies were just as good without Jaws with Jaw. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's a new year. So 
different teammates, different situation, different league. Um, but I think that still has some kind of impact for me and how I feel about Jaw specifically. And I don't think that takes anything away from Jaw or the Grizzlies. But I think that makes me think of other guys to put up on this list, like we were saying with Zion, maybe a little higher. Because like the, the Pelicans haven't proven that they can win without Zion. I mean, like they they kind of did, but like you know, they were first round exit. Um, I mean, that's so. fair, but I mean, this year, like, we gotta just judge it case by case, like yeah, year that's by true. year. And this year, Jaws played pretty much every single game, and he's like phenomenal in every single game. Like, really, the engine to each of the Grizzlies wins. Um, I, I the last thing I'll say about the Grizzlies is I know I started by talking about how like the names don't really pop out at you as being like great players, but. I think that's kind of the point about this Grizzlies team. You know, they historically Memphis has been known as like the grit and grind team. And that's kind of what I see with these players. The names don't really pop out, but these are all really good, productive players who are going to contribute a lot to winning basketball. You know, the names don't jump out to you, even like the the top three players on this team. You know, if you want to call it Jaron Jackson, Ja or De- and Desmond Bain, or you want to sub Dylan Brooks out for Jaron mm-hmm. Jackson, like those are not like, big names you know like they they're not like flashy superstars that everyone knows they're not household names but they're very very talented basketball players who you know know how to score know how to defend know how to do everything to make a winning basketball team and it's like that from top to bottom even from guys like brandon clark tyus jones stephen adams even fits that bill a little bit um so some of the more new guys like david roddy who found his way into the rotation john conchar as i was talking about and all these kinds of guys. So I think that I really like what they have been building in Memphis, not only this year, but for the past couple of years. And I'm excited to see how they do in the playoffs. Um, you know, I think like a series between uh, with them and a team like the Pelicans. That could be, be so fun because that just that Zion and the draw connection. Exactly. It would be one of like a series for the ages. And I think, you know, like it's great to see all these young superstars really like taking hold of their teams and making them their own. You know, you look across the league and it's like all the top teams in the respective conferences are led by like a young star. And it's it's good to see the the new guard sort of taking hold. Yeah, it's really interesting because, I mean, like the way usually by now, I'd say like at this point, like let's call it 20 years ago, like LeBron would have been out of the league, like just like the superstars, quote unquote, you know, KD, maybe even Steph would have been out of the league. These guys hitting their 34, 35 would be coming out of the league. But these guys are still playing at like dominant levels for the most part not all of them but you know they're they're still up there they still have that superstar um title and these new new guys are coming in having watched these guys and they're competing against them and they're all superstars at the same time which is so cool to watch and the league's definitely in good hands but uh moving on to the next little segment i want to talk about we talked about these teams and these these players who are looking great but I want to highlight some teams now, two specific teams, uh, the Mavs and the Heat, who have been losing their footing. And we've talked about them quite a bit over the podcast the past few weeks with them just kind of slipping. But specifically, the Mavs are not working at all. They're they're down to 500 now. Um, how can Luka get the help he needs? I mean, and also, do you think Luka deserves to be the third candidate in the MVP race, considering his team is like the 10th seed right now? I don't know. Because on the one hand, Luka... You know, he's a scoring leader. He's really doing it all. Incredible player. You know, you look just watching him, you're just 
awed by like some of the passes he makes, some of the shots he's able to hit, and it's just like hit some his footwork. Luca came into the league saying like, yeah, the Euro League is harder than the NBA, and he's really proven that um, through his actions. But obviously, the Mavericks are struggling right now. So we talked about this a little bit last time, and I think there's a lot of issues with the Mavericks right now. I think you know, one a, a big thing for me is like their ball secondary ball handler like Luca kind of has to do everything on offense creating the shots um setting up plays running motion like all these sorts of things is all in Luca's hands literally so I think getting a secondary ball handler like a true point guard would really help if Luca's able to play off ball more um and you're able to do things where he's coming off a pick maybe getting him catch and shoot opportunities so that he doesn't have to be active all the time um because you know, you can't have your star doing literally everything on the offense because that's just going to lead to him being tired and being burnt out. And we've yeah. seen that over the past few years. And so it's no surprise to me that, you know, the Mavericks would start really hot this season only for them to start, you know, fizzling out as the wear and tear of the long 82-game NBA season starts to build up. So I think Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks front office really need to take a good hard look in the mirror and think, whether this is sustainable because it, I don't think it is. And they need yeah, to get another guy who can help with this offense. I wanted to talk about how Luka Doncic didn't play in their last game for those reasons, just the wear and tear, you know, it's taking on this body, having to play so hard, so many minutes and just carry this team. Um, and they lost not just a loss, but they got demolished by the, by the Chicago bulls mm-hmm. who, are the worst offensive team in the league. Or maybe not the worst, but they're one of the oh, worst don't, offensive teams. Don't forget teams. about the Charlotte Hornets. They're Sorry. always going to take yeah. that crown. They're not the worst, but they're one of the worst. I think they're the worst three-point shooting team in the league. That's yeah. what it is. Yeah. Um, they've just been pretty disappointing this year. We've talked about them on the pod. Just DeMar DeRozan not getting any help. Zach Levine being super underwhelming. The injuries have harmed them a lot. Um, so they're looking like one of those teams that might also have to like make some moves. Um and then without Luka Doncic, this team got destroyed 144 to 115 in regular time. This this means that they were they allowed the worst shooting team and one of the worst offensive teams in basketball right now to get 144 points. And you'd think by losing Luka Doncic that all of their offense would go away. I would understand that considering that he is their offensive engine. And maybe their defense would get a little better since Luca doesn't provide any defense. But the exact opposite happened. They scored about their typical amount and just had no defense whatsoever. So they need to find some sort of identity on defense, just make some moves. And I gave a lot of credit to Jason Kidd for last year, but I think this year has shown that Jason Kidd hasn't been able to make the right decisions to help Luka Doncic. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think that, you know, like, it, it, you have to do lay some of the blame at Jason Kidd's feet for not making the right adjustments. But, I mean, it's also just a roster issue. Like, who on this team is really going to, like, step it up on the offensive side of the, the floor and just, like, become a playmaker and start organizing stuff for the offense? Like, yeah, I guess that you could maybe make the argument Spencer Dinwiddie. But, to be honest, he's never really been that kind of guy. Like, I view him more of, like, a, a scorer first. I mean, uh-huh. in this game without Luca, he had 27 points, eight assists on uh, nine of 15 from the field, three six from three. So he did step it up. But I mean, like they just didn't really have any of their production. Just him and Christian Wood were the only players really out there. I mean, JaVale McGee had 18 points, but really 
you can't rely on Javale, a thirty-five-year-old Javale McGee, to be a defensive anchor and an and like just like a, a lob threat. I, I guess they like you know you could say they brought in Kemba Walker to fill that fill that gap, but like let's be serious now. It's twenty twenty-two. Kemba Walker is not the player that he used to be. In fact, like this is a guy who should probably be out of the NBA. Like his knees don't really hold up, and he just can't really be productive on an NBA court anymore. And he's a complete liability on the defensive end. So the Mavericks need to, like, in my opinion, look at some of these pieces, look at who's really contributing here. Like, is it Dorian Finney-Smith? Is it Tim Hardaway Jr.? Is it Christian Wood? Which of these pieces need to stay? And which of these pieces can we ship to get Luka some sort of co-star in the backcourt who can create, who can sort of be that guy alongside with him um, to create some offense and to, to have the ball in his hands. Because I think the, the mistake people make with Luka Doncic is thinking, okay, we have Luka here, right? Well, what do we need with him? Oh, we need shooters, and we need, like, a good big man, right, to complement him. And while, yes, that's true, like, Christian Wood has been very good this year and is up there in the six-man-of-the-year running, um, like, what you really do need is another playmaker because he cannot do this all himself. It's simply not sustainable, you know? Mm-hmm. It's the it's like the same thing that I was talking about with Jokic, but the difference is Jokic is so much bigger, and his body can take a little bit more wear because he's not bumping with guys nearly as much. He's much more of a finesse player than Luca is. Luca's really getting into people, and he's carrying everything, like just entirely. And and not only that, but just Jokic has so much more support than Luca does, so he can he can be that sole facilitator, whereas Luca doesn't have any help offensively or defensively I, I'm just kind of baffled because I did think that this team had some potential and I really liked watching them last year in the playoffs but them in the playoffs re- required taking like 50 63s a game and treating them at like a 40 percent clip and they, that's not sustainable offense and you can't win games by just out shooting people unless you're like Steph Curry like that's no other player in the world can do that and also one thing about the Jokic thing that because you made some great points talking about that, like Jokic is a seven footer. You can never underestimate that for a playmaker um, because you see when Jokic has the ball. He creates a lot of offense out of the post, you know, like he has his back to some guy and he'll find a cutter. He'll he'll dish the ball to him. He'll like make some insanely creative pass like to a guy in the corner waiting for a three ball. But Luca, because he's a little bit smaller, he's like six, eight, six, nine. He's going to have to be a little bit more creative and a little bit more physical in terms of making these plays he'll have to drive and then kick it out he'll have to set up a pick and roll and then find another player so he has to be a lot more active and a lot more physical in making these plays and obviously that's going to create a lot more wear and tear over time yeah so i think that going back to like this idea of who can help luca like that that facilitator you talked about in another previous episode that I didn't like the idea too much, but Mike Conley, I think, would be a great fit to help him out. And maybe getting another wing who would specializes more on the defensive end. Um, I know that's hard to find because that's like the prototypical like kind of help for the league, like the, the directional league is trending. But mm. getting one of those wings for Luca who can really lock in defensively and a facilitator like Mike Conley, I think, would make all the difference. Now, how is that going to happen? I don't really know. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Malika Beasley and Mike Conley. They're both in the Jazz right now. Yeah, Could Mike. Be Con- the, the problem with Malik Beasley is like 6'4". So... I thought, no, I'm pretty sure he's taller. He's 6'4". He's really short. He's very undersized. But uh, regardless, I think we can move on to this next team that I wanted to talk about here. 
Okay, you just checked. He's six four. Yeah, he is six Uh four. huh. Yeah, I know that's I... no. I, I'm not doubting it. I just like I've always like because I've always thought of him as like a pure small forward, like six seven kind of guy. But for him to be six four is pretty well to me. Yeah. Um, another team I want to talk about that's not working that Miami Heat team. Uh, last night they had a tough loss to the Spurs at home, uh, and it's just really sad because it's really Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo playing great. Tyler Heroes having some pretty solid games, but it just really doesn't seem like they have any depth or any help for these guys, which is really surprising because, like I was talking about before, that Heat culture, like that next minute mentality. This is a team that's always found guys. Um, just undrafted in the undrafted market and they've made really good use of just role players and, and putting them into a system, but that just hasn't seemed to happen this year. And I really don't think that anything's changed for them. I just think that these, their guys have been playing up to standard and to give them some credit, there have been a lot of injuries for them this year. So I don't think they're going to stay at this like 10 to 11 seed kind of range. I think they can be up in like the lower tier playoffs or maybe a play-in team um, but just that's not what this Heat team is wanting compared to the bubble in like the past few years where they have been a like real contender. So exactly. what do you think that they can do to improve? I don't know what they can do in terms of improve, but I just want to say like there's has been a lot of disappointments. I think like the Heat historically have been a team that has relied on their depth and on, you know, playing with a deep rotation, you know, getting a contributions across the board. Uh, because Jimmy Butler, especially like as your s- superstar player, he's not a guy who's going to come alive for you in the regular season that much. He's not really a score first kind of guy, and neither is a guy like Bam Adebayo. So you're going to have to rely on other players to do a lot of the scoring. And they, the, I think the Miami Heat had really put a lot of chips into Duncan Robinson, and that has really like flopped completely. Duncan Robinson looks terrible this year. They're playing him like eight minutes a game. It's bad. And they're paying him something like what, 20, 25? Yeah, it's 20 mil a year. 20 mil a year for a guy you're playing, you're barely playing anymore, and who's shooting the three ball at 30%. He's shooting the three ball at 30%. They paid him only to shoot threes, and he's shooting 30%. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, And, you know, like obviously Victor Aladipo came back, and he looked fine, I guess, but, you know, not really what you like wanted to see. Uh, Kyle Lowry is taking a step back this year. Yeah, he's 36, but you know, who's going to score the ball on this team? That's the big issue, in my opinion. I would, I would say Kyle Lowry, I wouldn't even say necessarily he's taking a step back. They've been putting big miles on his legs. I mean, they're playing him 40 minutes, 34 minutes, 38 minutes, 39 minutes. They're relying heavily on this guy, and I'm very impressed by how well he's held up. Um, I mean, averaging 14, 5, and 6. I mean, what more could you ask of Kyle Lowry at this stage? Yeah, but in I mean, like, look at the efficiency, dude. He's shooting the ball at 40%. Like, yeah, but when you're when you're having a guy play 40 minutes a night when he's 36 years old and you're asking him to do everything, I mean, that's very understandable, especially because he's their guy who the guy who's defending on the perimeter. Because if you're having Tyler Hero in, which you have to have in, because he's one of your only score first guys because Duncan Robinson can't play, then that's putting a lot of load in Kyle Lowry on the defensive end. So his legs aren't going to be under him on that offensive end. And then they, they just have a ton of issues. Cause like, if you look at all of their best lineups in like, it's been proven their best lineups are lineups where they don't have Tyler hero in or Duncan Robinson. In. And do you know how much money they've invested in those two guys? I mean, other teams are seeing this and they're going, they're not very efficient 
the team looks better without them, but they have that's fifty million dollars in in cap space that you have invested in those two players, and all your other stars. I mean, like Bam has looked great, um, but Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, you don't know how long each of those guys have left. I mean, hopefully Jimmy Butler has a few good years left in the league, but he is thirty three, um, and he's never been that great regular season guy. So I really don't know what they can do on this team. I think they might have to make some moves. Um, I'm not like a not like blow it up because I think this core is still a core that is, could be very successful uh, and has the capability to win win every single game they play. Um, but I mean, like they've had to play Udonis Haslam like real minutes. Like yeah, I saw that. Like like it's it's bad. Like when you have to play your 42 year old Udonis Haslam like 10. He, he played 20. Uh, sorry, no, no, that was last year. He played 10 minutes on November 30th. He played four minutes December 22nd. But, like, he's not there to play basketball. Like, I, the whole deal was like, yeah, I'm just going to be here, give advice to the, to the young guys, and just be a support. I love doing that. When you're playing a 42-year-old, like, real minutes in a game, that's how you know it's messed up. No, I, he was, I 100% agree. Because he was playing against the Celtics, too. Like, what do you want him to do? Go, <laughs> like, go guard uh, Jason Tatum? Tatum? Yeah. <laughs> um, so... I think, yeah, I don't think this is a team that's going to blow it up, but I would not be surprised if they do make some pretty big moves. Like the Miami Heat have never been a team to to be afraid of change. And so if you see a guy like Tyler Hero shipped out, I would not be surprised by that. You know, like I think that if they continue to struggle and they their their depth doesn't really work itself out, then like keep your eye on Pat Riley because he is not afraid to make – some moves and shake up his team. So with that, I think we can move on from talking about Miami. Uh, and I briefly want to just touch on the Warriors Celtics rematch that happened the other night. Um, the Warriors took this one, the splash bros combined for something like 62 points. Um, what were just some of your takeaways from that game? Yeah. I, I think something that's an interesting stat is in their entire career, when Steph and clay both score 30 points, they've never lost a single game. And that was one well, of those games. So that that's just a cool stat. Um, I mean, that's because when they're both catching fire, I mean, that's so unstoppable because you you can't guard both of them on the perimeter, um, especially when Steph is running around out there. This I think was a very big statement win for this Warriors team. I had no doubt that this team was going to turn their ship around, and like they didn't need to make changes. Like people were talking about shipping out some of the young guys, and I was always very big on this idea that it's very hard to merge young talent and older players and that's still hasn't happened yet this there's still a big divide um but that's going to take time and these young guys are going to have to learn the system the warriors are above 500 now um and i think they can make this work as is and steph is going to keep having like a, a, a crazy season and i'm so happy to see clay thompson starting to have some good games not that's not to say he's going to ever be the same player but I think one in every five to one in every eight games, Clay Thompson can have one of those games. Um, and every time he does, I'm very happy for him because he's just such a likable guy. I mean, he's averaging 19, three and three and three. So by no means is he like playing bad, but he just doesn't have his legs under him on defense. Um, and he's not having those like typical Clay Thompson games every single time he goes out on the floor. Yeah, honestly, I like what I saw from Clay this game. It wasn't just him scoring from the catch and shoot because we know he can do that, but it was him scoring at all three levels, you know, getting some buckets in the paint, some mid ranges here and there, a couple of free throws. So I like what I saw from Clay in this game. 
Um, I also like speaking of young guys, I liked what I saw from Jonathan Kaminga. I think he had a lot of very, very impactful plays, some highlight dunks here and there. Um, and I, I think that, you know, like he's finding his way into the rotation and really being a key contributor to this team. And I think this was a big statement win. Obviously, the Warriors have been kind of just mid this year, like not really been too great, not too bad. They've been amazing at home, but can't really get anything going on the road. So we'll see if this is able to translate over to some uh, some road momentum. Yeah, I will uh, say one more thing is yeah. this next stretch of game for the Warriors is going to be a big test to see how they'll play this year. Because after this game, having played Boston, they're going to play Milwaukee, then Indiana, then Philly, then Toronto, then New York, then then Brooklyn, then Memphis. Like it, This is a very tough stretch. I mean, we're talking every team they're playing against is a top five seed. Um, except they have a little break with Toronto and New York, but those are still pretty solid teams who can win on any given night with with good players. Um, yeah, but th- I mean, this it. is a very tough stretch for them. So I, this is going to be the biggest test um, of the season, and I just would like to see how the Warriors react. Will they like step up to the challenge, which I, they can do, but are they going to fall? Because I mean, I think it could really go either way, but I think this sets the tone for like the second quarter of, of the season for them. Definitely. I mean, this this is a huge nine game road stretch. And I think, you know, the way we talk about the Warriors is going to be very different come Christmas time in that game against Memphis. So, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. And the Warriors are definitely a team to keep watching and keeping our eye on as we as we near that Christmas Day mark. Um, yeah, I will say, do you think Steph Curry should be in MVP conversations as well, considering he's just having another all time great season? Ah, uh, not right now. Not top five. I think he maybe top ten, but like the team isn't that good. There's players playing, I think, arguably equal, if not better, on better teams. You know, all the names we already listed. Yeah, but, but Luca, I mean, Luca, he is the third, and he's a lower seed than the Warriors right now. And I mean, Steph isn't having his statistics far behind Luca. I mean, averaging thirty points, seven rebounds, and seven assists. I mean. How do you think of Stephen Curry averaging seven rebounds? Like that's pretty crazy. So, yeah, but I, I that is fair. I think Steph is putting up great numbers, but just all things considered, you know, the strength of their team, uh, just like how much they actually have to contribute to to winning. Um, I think I think it's just different. But uh, I do want to talk quickly about the Brooklyn Nets, um, because they are a team that started off struggling as well, but they've sort of recently found their footing. Um, they're eight and two in their last ten. What what do you think about the Nets as they're currently constructed? Do you think they're a legitimate contender, or is this just them sort of picking up some steam? Yeah, I mean, I do think any team where you have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving is always going to have a shot. Um, I we say that every year, and they seem to disappoint every year. But all this Kyrie drama has seen the simmer down a little bit. Um, and I mean, he's picked up his his play a lot. I mean, in the past two games, he had thirty three points, thirty three points a drop-off game with 18 points, but then he had 27 points, 27 points. So he's, I mean, coming back to like, you know, normal Kyrie numbers, Kevin Durant is having another crazy, like, I keep saying so many players are having MVP type seasons, but it kind of just feels like every player in the league is like scoring 30 plus, which it is an all-time year for the most players scoring 30 plus. So maybe that has a different meaning now, but Kevin Durant is averaging 37 and six or 37 and five. Uh, on historic efficient numbers for Kevin Durant. I think this is the best season he's ever shot from the mid-range with the most attempts from the mid-range he's ever had, which mm-hmm. was really interesting. 
Um, typically, you see players bring their game out to the three more as they age, and it kind of seems like he's bringing it into the mid-range more, which is a really interesting strategy, considering that most teams' strategy now is to defend the three and to defend the the paint, and they kind of leave that mid-range open, as opposed to the past, like when Kobe Bryant or even like LeBron at some some extent, like as those guys aged, the whole deal was don't really guard the three because we'll let players take threes, but we want to kind of pack the paint in the mid range. Um, so that's why Kobe, like MJ, LeBron have brought their game out to the three. But I think Kevin Durant's trying something different, saying, hey, teams aren't guarding this mid range. If I bring my game more here, I'm going to get less contested shots. And it seems to be working for him. So that's a really interesting strategy. Maybe other players are still start adopting that a little bit. Um, but just talking about some other guys in this team, I think uh, Seth Curry came back. He's been a big help for them. Um, Patty Mills has picked up his shooting a little bit. Uh, and Ben Simmons, not saying that he is like any better because he's still pretty disappointing, uh, but he's been shooting a little bit more per game. I mean, instead of zero to, to three attempts per game, he's shooting four attempts per game. We have to give Amazing. him credit. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. I, he did have a game. I think it was uh, Thanksgiving where he had 20 points on eight of eight from the field. Um, so he still has it. He still has it in him somewhere. We just got to get him to get that every game. Um, I think the difference between this team being a like good regular season team and going far into the playoffs and them being in the finals and possibly winning a championship is how far Ben Simmons is willing to push himself and get back into that mental state of like 2018, 2019 Ben Simmons. I really do think that makes a difference because it opens up a lot of different aspects to this team uh what do you think is going to be uh, the difference maker for this team or do you think they're already just set no i think ben simmons is the 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 difference maker i think i i've seen a i like what i see a lot from Kyrie and kd i mean we we know how good they they are and like when they just play their game they're gonna be a good team you know and like minus all the drama minus all the theatrics like then when these two players just play basketball they're a good team it's that simple and as you said, Seth Curry coming back, I think he's a very, very important piece to this team in terms of shooting, especially because I think Joe Harris has not been the player that they wanted him to be this year. Um, so I think he's been really important. And yeah, Ben Simmons has kind of turned it up in this stretch, like not on, in terms of numbers, but he's been making some winning plays and really helping out on their defense. And the Nets have kind of looked during the stretch like the team that we thought they were going to be, you know, like Katie and Kyrie providing a lot of offense surrounded by these offensive help pieces. And Ben Simmons is really anchoring the defense. So, you know, we'll see if they're able to continue this. I also don't think they've necessarily had like a really difficult stretch of games. Yeah. Um, that's another part of it. But, you know, I I'm excited to see if they get tested more and see how they fare in a game against Milwaukee or a game against Boston, you know, these sorts of opponents. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm not mad at the Nets right now. I think they're I like. Do you think? Do you? Th I will actually. There's two things here. So one, um, is their schedule is pretty easy up until I think it is um December 18th. They just have like Raptors, Pistons, Wizards, uh, you know, like pretty easy teams. But then you move into like Christmas time, and they have to play the Warriors. They play the Bucks. They play the Cavs, the Hawks. So they they have a little tough stretch there. So hopefully they'll play well. But um. The, the question I wanted to ask you was, do you think this new hiring of Jackie Vaughn um, in the firing of Steve Nash 
has made an impact on their game? Or do you think this is just like natural course of time for this team? I think so. I mean, like, it, I think it more so, I don't know how much we can credit uh, ja- uh, Vaughn. Yeah, Jackie Vaughn. Is it Jackie? I always thought it was, um, really, is it Jackie? I think it's Jackie. No way. It's a Jacques Vaughn. Jacques Vaughn. Jacques yeah. Vaughn? Okay. Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm... <laughs> yeah, my, my that's, friend. That's the, the weirdest spelling. The ja- it's French. It's French. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but I, I, I don't like French spelling of things. Okay, that's fair. It is a little like, <laughs> non-intuitive. But anyway, I like... I, I don't know if we could say Jacques Vaughn has necessarily been like a very positive piece, but he hasn't been a negative. And I think Steve Nash toward the end of his tenure with the Nets was an, an active negative. I don't think anybody respected him. I think he had lost his locker room in a sense. And I think that, you know, he was almost bringing the team down. Like, I think you have to say it. He was bringing the team down. And so, um, yeah, I think that, like, he just simply not being a negative presence has helped this team. And it clearly seems to be making an impact with the players. So, um, I think that the Nets made the right decision bringing in Jacques Vaughn. It was kind of crazy, that whole fiasco with Ime Udoka, how that didn't actually end up panning out. Yeah, um, right. Well, I think they clearly realized that they had too much drama, especially with the carry situation. They just wanted to steer clear of any potential drama, which I think was the right decision in the end. Yeah, no, I, I have to agree with you there. I think it was the right move. Um, the last thing I want to talk about was actually a thing that NBA announced pretty recently. So they're going to actually be handing out a trophy to the um, to the team with the best regular season record. Um, what do you think of this? Do you like this uh, change? Do you like this implementation? And who do you think is going to get their first ring? Um, uh, Chris Ball uh, with the uh, implementation of this award. <laughs> um, honestly, I kind of don't like it because I think like, there is meaningful awards to add and there's meaningless awards to add. And I think the MBA, I think there's positives and negatives to this award. For one, um, I think the MBA in general and like players emphasize getting championships, not winning the regular season. So I don't think that there's going to be a lot of standing for this award around the league. Maybe not right now, maybe in like 20 years down the line, if this award becomes significant, teams will really care about getting it. Um, but something I don't like about implementing like new awards that are going to be like a big deal is like that the NBA has been going on for so long that like it's going to be able to har- hard to look at past the past in the NBA and compare that to current players. Like let's say twenty years down the line, we're looking at John Morant's career and trying to compare it to like I don't know Dwayne Wade, right? And mm. we say right, but John Morant got five of the best regular season awards and Dwayne Wade got zero. <laughs> and you, you're just arguing with some like 16 year old or some 17 year old kid seeing John Morant at the end of his career. And we're going to be the old heads and be like, yeah. but you didn't get you to didn't see-, see John Morant when he was dunking over Zion Williamson. Did you yeah. Now, young blood? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I mean, that's like a stupid answer to why I wouldn't like the award, but I think it would actually be significant. And like it just, end up having really stupid arguments over like just like players um but i do like it the positive to this is if players do end up taking this award seriously it could incentivize teams to actually focus on the regular season a little more but do i think that's going to happen no because there's such an emphasis on rings and, and teams care about the postseason far more than they do the regular season yeah, no, I mean, I, I have to agree with you here. Like, I don't think this is going to change anything in terms of making the regular season more important. 
and making players care about it more. I I genuinely just don't understand like why they are doing this. Like people like it has been historically known in the NBA that your regular season record doesn't matter. All that matters is what you do in the playoffs, right? That's why the Golden State Warriors, the 73 and 9 team, is not seen as the best team of all time, despite having the best record of all time, because when it really came down to it, they lost in the finals, right? And that's why, like, those Bulls teams, like the 72 and 10 team, was like, yeah, we got 72 and 10, but none of that matters. You know, all that matters is we win the championship, and they did. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and like, I, I think also a lot of players see, like, players and teams see the regular season as a time to test things out not to be so serious um just like that's that's kind of what the regular season is for from beginning to end just to like ride out try new things see what works and prepare for the playoffs and like get the lineups that work for the playoffs there's just such a heavy emphasis on the playoffs which i like that's how it should be because what would make the playoffs exciting if teams were focusing on getting the best regular season award like that just it kind of, I don't know. It just seems useless. Yeah, useless is definitely the word I would use to describe it. Um, but at least Chris Paul will probably get a ring if the Suns do. Well. So, you know. can you imagine if they gave out like rings that were like nicer <laughs> than like the the finals rings? No, it'd be hilarious if they gave out like plastic rings, like ring <laughs> or something. You know, like yeah. that would be funny. Um, I yeah, I I think like you know what's next? Like, are they or, like those like, edible necklaces? like i just what are they gonna give next like a mvp for like halfway through the season like the halfway mvp i mean they they already do give like the the best teammate of the year award like the ones that nobody cares about those already exist i don't understand like the the nba keeps adding these awards like they added the like um the like western conference mvp and the eastern conference mvp uh for like the playoffs i didn't wasn't crazy about that change and now this like you got to stop adding awards because that just def- devalues all the other awards, you know, like yeah. at a certain point, we're going to reach a point in the NBA where there's like 5,000 awards and every single player gets multiple <laughs> accolades every single year. <laughs> it's like m- most efficient PER 40 minutes. Like it's like, who's the most efficient player in, in a 40 minute time span on a two on, on Tuesdays in the month of November, uh, you know, wearing the Jersey number below 10, like, what are these awards at this point? <laughs> Best player with a jersey number above 90. <laughs> and there's like four players in the league with a jersey above 90. I'm one of those taco yeah. followers not even in the NBA anymore. Yeah, right. But on that note, I think that's actually a good place to call it. It's yeah. a good episode. Um, Yeah, so thank you all so much for watching. We'll be back next week. Yeah, with, we'll be both uh, back in LA for next week's pod. So. Yep. So be exciting. excited for that. So, uh, you know, enjoy the holidays in the meantime. Enjoy your guys' breaks, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Peace. Bye bye.